chapter, chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, within us and among us, open our minds that we may understand the scriptures today. Amen. I'm afraid I must be honest with you. My initial reaction to today's scripture reading was jealousy. I believe we often find ourselves echoing Jesus' words, but we add a sense of contempt for these first believers. Why are you troubled? Why are you worried? How easy it must have been for these first followers to believe and follow Jesus. He was right there in front of them. They were the true witnesses. They were the true witnesses of joy, the joy of Christ on that Easter Sunday. This morning, Let's delve into Luke's story to journey back to that first evening on Resurrection Day. Perhaps by exploring the range of emotions and the dramatic series of events that led to this scene in the upper room, we can better understand the gospel some 2,000 years later. Before appearing in the upper room, the disciples and others were gathered together trying to figure out what on earth was going on. The room must have been stuffy and stale. As some scholars believe that there may have been over 100 people present, in addition to the 11. I imagine there was crying and and even arguing as they tried to untangle the events from that day. And especially what to do with this outrageous, outrageous story of resurrection. Earlier that afternoon, two disciples meet Jesus on the road to a small village called Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk, which might have taken two or three hours, 
would have been about here to Carytown. I can imagine these two whispering in despair and confusion as they discuss what Peter and the women have claimed happened earlier that morning. Cleopas, there's no way that this is true. But, but Peter says it happened, not just the women. It, it really happened, maybe. What, so what if it did happen? Nothing's changed. Rome still has power. Jesus comes alongside them on the road and begins to strike up a conversation, as one does when you're traveling. Like, we might mention the news to a waitress that we have at Crackle Barrel on the way to the beach. And although the two disciples do not fully believe the story themselves, they tell this man, who they believe is an ignorant stranger, the latest news. From chapter 24 of Luke, verses 19 through 24, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Jesus reveals himself later to these two as they break bread together and explains why he was crucified and raised. When Jesus leaves, the two apostles get up and return to Jerusalem, make that seven-mile trek back. There they tell the gathered their story. They affirm Mary Magdalene, the women, and Peter's witness. So, the disciples have heard this story now three times, but they don't immediately believe. Why? Why don't they get excited about this good news? I believe it's because they're too overwhelmed. Perhaps the most evident obstacle was their grief over this loss, the execution of their beloved teacher and friend. And possibly more crushing was what this meant for their people. The Jewish people had been through so much pain, bearing the constant brunt of being a conquered people, first by Babylon, then Persia, and now Rome. They faced the very real fear that Israel's glimmer of light and hope of redemption had been extinguished. Over the centuries of trials, the people wrote psalms, poetry, and worship songs expressing how they understood their plight and how they heard God responding. Psalm 4, verse 1 through 3, shows the passionate prayers of the people who long for God 
knowing they have sinned against God, and knowing God is listening and imagining that response. Hear these words. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people, how long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. This is often our prayer. Can you hear us, God? I'm distressed, God. Our friends are sick. Our children are scared to go to school. Some of us don't remember when our land wasn't at peace. The world seems to be crushing us, overwhelming us. Worst of all, Sometimes I'm part of the problem. I contribute to someone feeling crushed because I sin too. Sin is one of those churchy words that we use without thinking what it means. I understand sin to be when we do the opposite of the greatest commandment, when we hurt God and hurt people. Sometimes we allow our our own desires for fulfillment or security put a block between God and us. And we treat others unjustly. And indeed, the followers gathered in the upper room sinned too. So you see, I identify with these disciples in the upper room. They beg God to answer, yet they they also recognized that they caused his crucifixion. Their beloved rabbi's death on a cross. God's plan for Israel's redemption seems a failure. But now, huddled together in an upper room, somebody is talking about resurrection, that this Messiah might be alive. While over a hundred people are debating these things, in the midst of this chaos, a voice of hope, of joy, breaks through. A voice gently addresses the noisy group. Peace be with you. Jesus offers them a traditional greeting. And their reaction is to jump back. The room hushed. They were afraid. In the first century, the fear of ghosts and belief of ghost stories was common. There were popular stories of Roman emperors returning as ghosts. Jesus knows this and can sense he needs to address it. I can hear Jesus gingerly asking, why are you frightened? And encouraging a room full of gawking onlookers with eyes like deer in headlights to touch his hands. He is indeed flesh. He's not a ghost. 
Perhaps a few individuals reached out and kissed his hands or knelt at his feet. The room must have been overwhelmed with a mix of feelings. There are probably tears of joy, of relief, and even of anger. Many of us have experienced multiple feelings at once. For example, I remember my mom repeating quite a few times over spaghetti dinners a story about my sister, Caroline. Mom was tidying up the house, doing laundry in the basement. The kids are playing in the living room. When she gets back upstairs, one child, her two-year-old, is missing, and the door is wide open. She panics, shouting and crying her name. She sees that the mailman is passing by and entreats him to, to come in and, and tells her, him the story, and then they go out into the neighborhood and look. They look for hours and hours. But Caroline eventually is found safe and sound asleep in the bedroom. Mom was overwhelmed with relief and joy, but still felt confused and a bit angry. Verse 41 describes the disciples in a similar state. But while they were disbelieving out of wonder and amazement, Jesus asked for food and receives fish. This would prove to people in the first century that he was alive because ghosts could not eat according to the mythology at the time. However, this extraordinary reality is not yet comprehended by the disciples. They see it, but they can't understand. In Luke's narrative, the truth of the resurrection must be explained. First, by the two glowing men to Mary Magdalene, then by Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and now in Jerusalem. Jesus first explains that all the scriptures should be let, read in light of him and opens their minds to understand. Jesus lived up to God's expectations as recorded in the Old Testament. He knew the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That was his bedside reading. And he lived up to what it said. He knew how to treat people well. Jesus Christ exemplified steadfast, faithful love. But he also suffered. He was a real person. He understood pain. He witnessed the death of his friends. And so the Psalms speak to that too. But no matter how we hurt God or one another, God's love never fails. Like Israel, we can acknowledge and feel suffering while being hopeful about the future. God can still handle, handle our fear and doubt and worries. Sometimes we are overwhelmed. And honestly, the gospel itself is overwhelming. We may have sorrow and suffering from the world, but we don't have to carry our guilt, our shame from sin. Jesus conquered it 
already. And it's from this complete love that we can have joy. The disciples understood this for the first time on Easter. And these first century Christians risked everything to keep on telling the story. Many became witnesses to the entire story of God because someone, in this case Jesus, explained the gospel to them. All right, so how can we bear witness to the love of Christ some 2,000 years later in Virginia? The world knows the story of pain and sin. The ladies that we spent time with who are homeless know this story. Our coworkers know this story. They don't need to be told about that. They've experienced sorrow and guilt and shame. But many have never heard that there's more to the story. We must offer hope and understanding and forgiveness. We ought to love those who are difficult to love because sometimes we're those people too. And because Jesus died for them and conquered that sin and shame and offers us hope, we must witness the resurrection and hope found in Christ we must be a resurrection people. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, you are so faithful. You are so loving. When we didn't understand how loving you were, truly are, you came to us as a man, died for us, and resurrected you are alive. Help us proclaim this hope as we go out from this place. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.